may be seated, church. Dawson, I've been excited for months about this very Sunday morning that I would have the privilege as your pastor to introduce our guest preacher to you this morning. We welcome to Dawson this morning Dr. John Cantelow, the senior pastor of the historic Sixth Avenue Baptist Church here in Birmingham. We also welcome to our service this morning his bride, Rhonda. Rhonda, we welcome you to Dawson. We also welcome Dr. Cantelow's father, Dr. Cantelow II, and we are so thankful that you are here with us. Uh, John's father was a longtime administrator, director of personnel, the interim superintendent of the Birmingham City Schools on three separate occasions. So we welcome John's dad here. Dr. Cantelow, John, grew up in Titusville, graduated John Carroll, did his undergrad at the University of Alabama in the religion department there. I know we have some Roll Todd Dawson members here this morning. You'd be proud of, of John's uh, undergrad there. He's also a graduate, uh, like I am, of uh, Beeson Divinity School, where he received his Master of Divinity, and he followed that with his doctorate of ministry degree from Beeson Divinity School. Is the unique testimony of the providence of God upon his life to be pastoring in the church that ordained him to ministry, where he served as a pastoral assistant, where he served at Sixth Avenue as an associate pastor before he and his family served in Tuskegee. He came back to Sixth Avenue 10 years ago to be the senior pastor of that historic and wonderful church. He is only the ninth senior pastor of a church that was planted in 1881, a church of 140 years of gospel ministry to this community, to this state, to this nation, and beyond. John and Rhonda are the proud parents of three children, Carmen, Elijah, and Sophia. Two years ago, I had the privilege, uh, along with Dr. Cantelow and myself and three other pastors, to form a a group of pastors that just committed to pray together, committed to meet together, committed to listen to one another, learn from one another, eat together, which is really important to gather together there. And it, it has been a rich experience in my life. It was just this last Monday that we were gathered together. It's pastors from different denominational traditions, pastors from different ethnic backgrounds, different types of church. But what unifies us is, is Christ. And what unifies us is the privilege of, of serving his bride. And so, Dr. Cantelow, you have been a tremendous gift to me. Your church is a tremendous gift to the body of Christ, not only in Birmingham, not only in our state, but far beyond. And so it is a privilege that we get to hear from you this morning. Dawson, join me in welcoming Dr. John Cantelow to preach this morning. Thanks, David. Oh, well, my brothers and sisters, it's so good to be with you. I want to thank uh, your pastor, uh, Pastor David Elridge, uh, who is just a wonderful man of God. He's a breath of fresh air. He's very genuine. Uh, he loves people, and I think that's very important in that uh, you are a pastor. That's, that's, that's critical. And um, he also has a great sense of humor, and I've been over here a number of times uh, just meeting with those uh, pastors, and uh, we've had a good time together. Uh, I've, I've done this twice, you know. At any rate, I'm not going to get into that. Um, my wife is here, uh, Rhonda Cantalow, the beautiful, the gorgeous, the outstanding uh, Rhonda Cantalow, the mother of my three children. You know, 
that um, I have a child graduating from college. Uh, we're going to pick her up next week. And uh, so I'm just delighted about that. And I have a son, my son right now, I think he's working at Lowe's. I don't know if this is the right terminology, but he, he kind of has hustle, a lot of hustle in him, you know. And, uh, you know, he doesn't have to, but that's what he wants to do. Then my daughter is uh, at our church uh, serving there. I'm going to ask my wife to stand, though. I'm going to ask her to stand. Praise the Lord. Amen. <laughs> you really don't understand, and I don't know you that well, so I'm kind of reserving myself. But she doesn't like to do that, you know. So, as a matter of fact, if she could, she would sit in the back. And uh, so, thanks to Dawson, she's almost up front this time. <laughs> and uh, I'm going to get right into it. It doesn't take me long, but I'm gonna, uh, also thankful that my dad is here. You know, <clears throat> I'm 51 years old, and I can't go anywhere without my dad. You know, I guess he feels that he has to take care of me or something like that. Fifth, fifth, I'm a grown man, and he still follows me around. But at any rate, my dad is right next to her, and I'm just blessed uh, to have uh, these people in my life. If you would, turn your Bibles to the Gospel according to St. Luke. Um, Luke uh, chapter 16, uh, beginning with verse 19, and we're going to go through 31. <coughs> Luke chapter <coughs> 16, beginning with verse 19. <coughs> All right, <coughs> from the Word of God. And Jesus is speaking. Jesus said, There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. At his gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus, covered with sores and longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs came and licked his sores. The time came when the beggar died and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. In Hades, where he was in torment, he looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. So he called to him, Father Abraham, have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I am in agony in this fire. But Abraham replied, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things while Lazarus received bad things. But now he is comforted here, and you are in agony. And besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been set in place, so that those who want to go from here to you cannot, nor can anyone cross over from there to us. He answered, Then I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my family, for I have five brothers. Let him warn them so that they will not also come uh, to this place of torment. Abraham replied, uh, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to them. No, no, Father Abraham, he said, but if someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent. He said to him, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced even if someone rises from the dead. And may the Lord bless the hearing and the reading of his holy word. Amen. Amen. Let's go to God in prayer. Father God, once again, we assemble before you. This is the day that you have made, and we're going to rejoice, and we're going to be glad in it. Uh, we know that every good and perfect gift comes from you, who are the Father of lights. 
in whom there is no variation or shadow of turning, meaning that you do not change and there is nothing evil or dark about your ways. And so, Lord, right now we have every reason to give you the honor, the glory, and the praise. And as we open the book, Lord, and as we share in this text together, even as Moses ascended on the mountain, Lord, and he bowed down before you, he took off his shoes in humility. Likewise, Lord, symbolically, in humility, we bow down before you, and we ask that you would speak to us. Speak to us right now in the name of Jesus. Let the church say amen. <clears throat> amen. Uh, the subject uh, of our sharing this morning uh, is entitled, uh, The Man with No Name. The Man uh, with No Name. Uh, this parable from Jesus uh, is not so much about being rich or successful or prominent or powerful as much as it is about worshiping those things. You know, putting those things, putting money, putting success, putting status, even putting power before people and before God. And that's really uh, what Jesus is addressing here in our text. And actually, this parable is the last parable uh, that Jesus told. It was actually four parables before this, and uh, it started in Luke, the 15th chapter. And one of the things that you have to keep in mind is that Jesus taught his disciples right before this particular parable, he taught his disciples that no man uh, can serve two masters. He says either you will, you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. But the point that Jesus was trying to get at is that you cannot serve, he said, both God and money. And in verse 14 of this chapter, in verse 14, it tells us that the religious leaders, the Pharisees, who loved money, they were sneering at Jesus because he said this. In other words, uh, they were looking at Jesus with contempt and disdain and scorn. You know, they had, you know, these kind of looks on their faces. That was the attitude that they had toward our Lord as he was teaching the people. And, and I think it's important for us to know in light of how the Pharisees were responding to him at the moment. It is important to note that Jesus, he reserved his harshest criticism for the religious leaders and the teachers of the law or the teachers of the Word of God during his day. He really, he really didn't speak to people and or sinners, as the Pharisees called them. He really didn't speak to them like he spoke to the religious leaders. As a matter of fact, I'm sure that's why they refer to Jesus as a friend to sinners. Why? Well, that's because Jesus ate with them, and he taught them, and he had fellowship with them, and he celebrated different events with them, and he healed them, and he listened to them so that he could get to know them. Jesus spent time now. He spent time with the kind of people that the religious leaders, those who claimed to know God, had written off in their society. And that's why Jesus once said to them at Matthew's house, Matthew is also known as Levi, he said to them, he says, I didn't come to call the righteous, but I came to call sinners. That's what he said in Mark chapter 2. Now in Luke and, and the gospel of Matthew, he said, I came to call sinners to repentance. But either way, I want you to understand uh, that spending time with the Lord Jesus is something that will change you. It will change you. Most definitely it will change you. And so Jesus, you know, what I like about him was that he was the kind of man uh, who stood on his own two feet. And he did not allow, he did not allow any group, uh, religious, political, 
social, ideological, or otherwise to dictate how he should respond or how he should treat the people who are around him. That's why he often said, and you can read the gospel for yourselves, he often said the Old Testament law is based on these two commandments. He said, number one, love the Lord your God. You already know this, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, and all of your strength. And he said, and the second one is like it. He said, love your neighbor as yourself, right? So in spite of what's going on in the culture around you, in spite of what is popular and trending, in spite of who this or that group aligns itself with, Jesus said, if you, number one, love God first, and number two, love your neighbor as yourself, he said, then you will live, you will have everlasting life. This is what Jesus taught throughout the Gospels. So now in our text, in our text, which was uh, directed at the Pharisees because they put their money and they put their status before people and before God. You know, Jesus didn't just flat out tell them that they were going to hell, you know, if they didn't change their ways. But instead, instead, he told them a parable about a rich man and a beggar named Lazarus. Now, I just want to share with you what the Holy Spirit shared with me. And, and of course, the wonderful thing about the Spirit is that if you if you believe in the Word of God and are committed to it, then He can show you some other things in this parable that we may not talk about this morning. But, but now, one of the things that I believe He showed to me is that the rich man in our story has no name. The rich man has no name. I want you to think about that, right? The beggar's name is Lazarus, but the rich man is nameless. Now, this is Jesus' story, so why do you think Jesus did that? Well, we don't know for sure, but one of the things that was brought to my attention uh, was an incident uh, that happened in Luke, the 10th chapter. In Luke, the 10th chapter, it says that Jesus gave 72 of his disciples authority over all sicknesses and diseases, and he gave them the authority to cast out spirits, to cast demons out of people. And he sent them ahead of him into every town and every place where he was about to go. The text goes on to tell us, it says that when the 72 returned, they returned with joy. And they said, Lord, even, even the spirits, they submit to us in your name. And Jesus said, well, that's right, because I gave you authority over all the power of the enemy. He said, but do not rejoice. Do not rejoice that the demons are subject to you, but rather rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Huh? That your names, Jesus said, rejoice over the fact that your names are written in heaven. The rich man in Jesus' parable was not identified because I believe from the Lord's perspective, his name was not written in heaven. Now, I'm sure that he had a famous name upon this earth, at least in his own community. I'm sure everybody in his community knew who he was. That's why, that's why they, they put Lazarus outside of his gate day after day so that hopefully he could at least grab or get some of the crumbs that fell from the rich man's table. Now, when we talk about this, remember now, remember that during Jesus' time, during the ancient days, hey, they didn't have any social programs, right? They didn't have uh, the firehouse shelter. Uh, they didn't have a salvation army. 
They didn't have the Jimmy Hill Mission. They didn't have Jesse's Place all down in downtown Birmingham. They didn't have Social Security or Medicare or Medicaid program. They didn't have any of those things. And so, if you fell upon hard times back in those days, if you didn't have friends or if you didn't have any relatives to help you and support you, man, you were in bad shape. You were out there on uh, your own. And I know that many of you already know that this can be a cold and a mean and a dark and a hostile world if you don't have any support around you. You know, speaking of the names written in heaven, I probably don't know personally 99%, you know, of uh, the people uh, in this room. I don't, I don't know your names. But at the same time, I do want you to know that I do know you. I do know you in a very real sense, right? I know that you have dreams and aspirations just like I do. I know that you have families, right, just like I do. I know that you have jobs and you've got to pay bills and you've got to make ends meet and you've got to put food on your table just like I do. If you have lived for any length of time, I know that you have some joys and you have some sorrows. I know that uh, you have uh, successes and failures. I know that you have perhaps, you know, won some loves and you have lost some loves. I know that there are disappointments and struggles in your life. Right now, even in this congregation, you may still be struggling with some things right now, just like many of us in here are. Even though, even though I don't personally know most of you in this room, at the same time, I want you to understand that I do know you because we share the human experience together. Now, you may not have a name that people will know across this city, across this state, or across this region. But Jesus says the most important thing is for you to have a name that is known and written in the kingdom of God, right? For example, you know, uh, a Roderick or Mary or whomever, they may not know your names in the proverbial halls of power and prestige. They may not know your name, but if God knows your name, then that, my brothers and sisters, is the most important thing. Why? Because Jesus said, what does it profit a man to gain the entire world and yet to lose his own soul, to lose his name, or to lose uh, his identity as a human being. How, Jesus said, how does that benefit a man? Well, we know that it doesn't. Now, in this story, Jesus doesn't tell us how the man with no name became rich. Doesn't tell us. I guess in a sense he doesn't tell us because does it really matter? I mean, uh, it doesn't matter if this man inherited his wealth from his father or his grandfather. Uh, it doesn't matter if he worked hard and earned the money by the sweat of his brow himself. It doesn't matter. Uh, it doesn't matter if the source of his wealth uh, came from legitimate businesses or if they came from some criminal enterprises. Jesus was just dealing with where this man was at the moment. Likewise, likewise in the text, we know nothing about the background of Lazarus. We don't know if he had an accident which caused him to lose his job and that resulted in him becoming a beggar. We don't know if he was inflicted with some kind of sickness or 
some kind of disease, and therefore he could not work. You know, the text does tell us, it says that the dogs would come by when he was outside of the man's gate, and they would lick the sores from his body. And, and the amazing thing, or at least what I thought about, was the fact that he didn't even have the strength to pick up a stick and drive the dogs away. Hmm? We don't know if perhaps Lazarus at one time was married, if he had a wife and he had children, and somehow lost uh, his family uh, in some tragedy, and because of that, he drowned himself in sorrow, drowned himself in depression, and perhaps, and perhaps like so many, drunk himself into that condition. See, we don't know. Jesus doesn't tell us. He just wants us right now to deal with where Lazarus is in the moment, right? In the moment. That's how. Jesus wants us to treat people because it's really not necessary for us to know everything about a person's background. I mean, it may be helpful, but it's not necessary because Jesus wants us hmm, to treat people like human beings in the moment. He wants us to treat people like we want to be treated. He wants us to live by the golden rule that probably so many of us learned in Sunday school in the King James Version, which says, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you, even in your weakest moments, right? Huh? That's how Jesus treats us, even right now. And I don't know exactly what it is you're struggling with. I don't know uh, what keeps you up at night. I don't know what makes your blood pressure high. I don't know the anxieties that are in your mind and in your heart. Uh, but I can tell you this, even in your weakest moments right now, Jesus is full of compassion and mercy toward all of us. Matter of fact, matter of fact, the Scriptures say, in Romans, the fifth chapter, it says that while we were still sinners, yeah, while we, as some of the ladies uh, in my community say, while we were still acting up and acting out, huh? while, while we were still uh, living in rebellion against God, in outward rebellion against God, the Scriptures say that Christ, in His mercy, He died for us. Do you remember... You Bible study students, do you remember the argument that Paul developed in Romans, the fifth chapter, centered around that same verse that I quoted to you? Paul said, in essence, he said, it's a very, it's a very rare thing for someone to be willing to die for a righteous man, right? And then he said, he said, someone, maybe they might perhaps possibly be willing to die for a good man. But he said, as it concerns us, all right, when we were still enemies, when we were more than unworthy, when we were in rebellion, when, when we were still sinners doing whatever we wanted to go, do without regard to God, it says that Christ gave his life for us. Now, that's how Christ treated us. Now, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Well, now, the indictment against the rich man in this parable was that he refused to treat Lazarus like a human being, right? He refused to help him. He refused to show him compassion. Uh, he refused to acknowledge his plight. 
He refused to be empathetic or sympathetic. He refused to identify with Lazarus and see him uh, as a fellow traveler along the road of life. He refused to do that. And of course, you know, uh, he may have made so many assumptions. You know, the Lord has been convicting me about that lately. Do not assume things about people when you do not know. Rich man may have made some assumptions about Lazarus. He may have thought that Lazarus was lazy. That was why he was in that condition. You know, he may have thought that Lazarus had sinned in some way and he deserved to be where he was. He may have thought that Lazarus, you know, was a con man that was trying to, to swindle him, you know, out of, out of some of his money. But the bottom line is, for whatever reason, he refused to identify with Lazarus as a human being. He refused, he refused, he refused, all right, to see Lazarus uh, as a fellow human being who had struggles in life, perhaps like he had, maybe not on the same level, but perhaps like every human being has struggles in life. Text says that even though Lazarus was laid outside of his gate day after day, even though he longed for the crumbs that fell from the rich man's table, it says that he basically did not receive a crumb. Now the man had more than enough, but he didn't even he didn't even have he didn't have a shred of mercy in his heart to, to give Lazarus a crumb. Jesus use this parable to basically say to the Pharisees, the religious leaders, people like me, people, clergy like me, people who teach the Word of God, he said to the Pharisees, you are just like this man, all right? You might have a great name upon this earth, and you might claim to know God, but your names are not written in heaven. And that really is a sobering thought. It, it, it's a sobering thought, all right, for me to claim to be a, a Christian and yet treat people, treat people in a way that is not reflective of who our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ is. Now, it reminds me of what Jesus said in Matthew, the 15th chapter, when he said to the Pharisees, and, and he quoted the prophet Isaiah when he said it, he says, you know, these people, uh, they draw near to me with their mouths and they honor me with their lips, he said, but their hearts, they are far from me. That is really a sobering thought because Jesus was the one who said, not everyone who says unto me, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom of heaven, but, but he that does the will, you know, of my Father in heaven. Well, in the text, Jesus said in the course of time that both of these men died. It says that Lazarus was escorted by angels into heaven, and he was placed at Abraham's side it says that the man with no name found himself tormented in Hades. It says when he looked up, it says that he, he saw Abraham far off. He said, Father Abraham, have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue. Why? He said, because I am in agony in this fire. <laughs> Isn't that something? I mean, this man, now what want you to think about that now. This man was unwilling to lift a finger to help Lazarus while he was alive. He, he had no pity on the fact that there was a sick man who couldn't fend the dogs off. He had no pity on this man, no compassion, no mercy, and yet he wanted Lazarus to have pity on him. 
now that he was in agony. The fact of the matter is, and I think you would be able to tell this, you can see uh, for this man with no name, it was all about him. It was all about what he wanted and how he felt and how he saw things. And so, and so even, listen, even from hell, this man was trying to tell people what to do. But now, but now check this out. In the text, even though Lazarus, all right, even though there's no record of him speaking in this narrative, right? And uh, he didn't have a voice on earth, it says, and, and apparently he didn't speak to the rich man from heaven. Text tells us that Abraham, the patriarch of our faith, Abraham was the one who spoke up on his behalf. And see, that is the role that Jesus assumed when he was here upon this earth, and that is the role that Jesus assumes for us right now while he is in heaven. I'm sure that many of you know the Bible says that while Jesus sits at the right hand of the Father, he does so so that he might make intercession for us. There may be some things right now that you are struggling with that you can't share with anyone, and you don't want to share with anyone. You don't want anybody to know it, but I want you to know that even if there's nobody praying for you right now at the right hand of the Father, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, sits. He's saying, Lord, have mercy on them. Lord, give them another chance. Lord, help them out. Lord, give them the power, the strength that they need to make it through this day. That is what Jesus is doing for every single one of us right now at the right hand of the Father. The Bible also tells us that, that when he was on earth, all right, he spoke up for those who for whatever reason, could not speak up for themselves. You know, he spoke up in John 8 chapter, he spoke up for the woman who was caught in adultery. Man, those men, those religious leaders, they were going to kill, they were going to stone her. Jesus said to himself, how, how can I rescue this woman from this moment? He spoke up for that woman. He spoke up for the man who had a withered hand in the synagogue and, 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 and the religious folk, they didn't, want, they didn't want Jesus to heal him. He spoke up for the woman who had a spirit of infirmity for 18 years, meaning that, that she had been bent over and she hadn't been straight. She hadn't walked straight for, for 18 years, and Jesus delivered her from that infirmity. He spoke up for his disciples when they were accused of violating the Sabbath. All right? He spoke up for the multitudes when he realized that they were like sheep without a shepherd. The point I'm trying to make is that Jesus identified with sinners so much that the Bible says that God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us so that we might become, you know, the righteousness of God in him. In effect, what Jesus did was he switched places with us, right? He took upon himself our sin and he gave us his righteousness. Jesus identifies with the hurting and those who don't have a voice so much, the Bible tells us in Matthew, the 25th chapter. It says that in the last day, uh, when the Son of Man returns in his glory, and all of his angels comes, come with him, and he sits down on his glorious throne. It tells us that he's going to place the people of the nations before him, and he's going to separate them like the sheep 
like a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He's going to put the goats on his left hand. He's going to put the sheep on his right hand. He's going to say to those on his right, he's going to say, come you blessed of my father and inherit the kingdom which God has prepared for you since the foundation of the world. He said, because when I was hungry, you gave me something to eat. When I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. When I was a stranger, you took me in. When I was naked, you clothed me. When I was sick, you came to see about me. When I was in prison, you visited me. And, and the text says that those people, they're going to look at Jesus on his throne. They're going to say, Lord, uh, we don't remember seeing you in that condition. And he's going to say to them, whenever you did it to the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you did it unto me. Now, isn't that something? That, that, that is the level on which Jesus identifies with people and their struggles. He said, whenever you did it to the least of these, he said, you did it unto me. Brothers and sisters, whenever you see someone struggling on the road of life, struggling, let's say, with sin, and, and look here, all of us in here have struggled with sin. Some of us right now might be struggling with it. Right? We're fighting tooth and nail with that thing. But whenever you see someone on the road of life struggling with sin or knocked down by, by the circumstances of life, how will you respond? My question is, how have you responded? Will you sneer at the teachings of Jesus, what Jesus has said like the Pharisees did? You know, I don't have time for that. Will you refuse to show compassion like the man who has no name? Or will you treat them like you would want to be treated? Listen, like you would want to be treated even in your weakest moments. Scripture says, if you do that, if you do that, let me tell you, you may not have a great name upon this earth. They may not know you in the proverbial halls of power and prestige, but, but you will have a name that is known and a name that has been written in the kingdom of God. Father God, we're thankful. We're thankful for your word. We're thankful for the mercy and the compassion that you have extended to each and every one of us. Lord, I pray that you will continue to grant your favor to each and every person under the sound of my voice. Draw them, Lord, closer to you. Draw them, Lord, closer to each other. May their eyes be open to see your good hand at work in their lives and enable them, Lord, empower them through the presence of the Holy Spirit to be who you have called them to be. In Jesus' name, amen.